Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Orsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We're here to start the No Nonsense podcast coverage of the Titans offseason. We're going to do that today, starting with the offense. We're going to go through every single position group talk about what's there, what's not, and what needs to be there for the Titans to be successful in 2022. We're also going to talk about new Titans, uh, I almost called him quality control, passing game coordinator, Tim Kelly. And we're going to talk about an interesting theory that Will has about the 2022 Tennessee Titans. All of that on this jam-packed episode of No Nonsense. If you like what you're listening to, why don't you follow us on social media? You can do that at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook. You can also subscribe to or follow the show wherever you are listening to get easier and faster access to all of our new episodes. Let's start with Tim Kelly, guys. That kind of happened right after we recorded our last episode because we took Super Bowl week off. Uh, what do we think? Do we think it makes a difference? Is this enough to fix the problems with the Titans' offense? Which I think we would all agree were the the slow starts, only three out of eighteen games scoring on the opening drive, and the turnovers, six games with at least three. Uh, I definitely think it can't hurt. You know, um, the offense was was pretty much a train wreck for a lot of the games uh, this past season. And, and rightfully so, Todd Downing got, you know, pretty criticized by, by just about everyone. Um, and it kind of came to a head 
um, in the playoffs, even though Tannehill uh, played a big part in the Titans offense being a disaster in that game. Uh, Todd Downing was also very much at fault uh, because he never made the right um, the right changes th- throughout the season, and it ended up hurting the Titans in the playoffs. I think Tim Kelly, I, I don't know exactly what his role is going to be. It's like senior offensive assistant, passing game coordinator. So if he could change a couple of things in terms of the scheme within the offense, I think that'll that'll help a little bit. But I'm still just skeptical about the whole situation because Todd Downing just isn't a good play caller, period. Like his, his scheme is bad uh, in and of itself. But add to that that he just has no rhythm, it seems, um, in terms of calling plays. And you're still going to have him be the de facto offensive coordinator slash offensive play caller um, this season. So I'm still skeptical, but I definitely think Tim Kelly will come in and at least help a little bit and try to instill some change, with, which I think is definitely needed um, for the offense. Hopefully he can have the same type of effect that Jim Schwartz had for the defense um, this last season, but I'm just going to be skeptical until I actually see it. Yeah, I think the big thing to remember here is that uh, Jim Schwartz's title was like assistant special advisor to the head coach or one of those weird, obscure titles. Like Tim Kelly's has coordinator in the name. So we we can expect that he's going to be more hands on than uh, Jim Schwartz was. And not not that, you know, it's different because he's more hands on, but he's probably not as good of a coordinator as Jim Schwartz is, you know, just on their sides of the ball. But the fact is like, he is going to have an input in the play calling and he's going to have his plays in there. It's not just going to be like, Hey, I think that the third call on your sheet looks better than the fourth call on your sheet. It's going to be, if we're passing, here are the plays you can use. You really, you really think that's what's going to happen. I don't know why they would have a coordinator name in his title. It's not like they had to outbid for anybody else. I mean, why didn't they just call him a, a assistant head coach or something, you know, obscure like they did with Schwartz? So why is Todd like, Downing still there? Because Vrabel is never going to fire somebody he doesn't have to. And so he's going to get him like, a babysitter? Yeah. It's what he did with Bowen last no, year. No, it's not. That's not what happened with Bowen. The whole, these were the plays you may call. I don't think that happened. I mean, so it seems like that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. So like the playbook is completely different and uh, on, on defense this year, it's just a different playbook than what it was the year before when Vrabel is calling plays. And it looks like uh, Vrabel said, okay, you can call plays. He got concerned about it in the preseason or, or whenever they hired Schwartz, they brought in Schwartz to kind of say like, hey, you need to help teach him how to be a defensive coordinator because he didn't learn anything from me because I don't know how to do it. And then they developed what's, whatever sort of symbiotic relationship they have, and we got what we got. This is, there's nobody that's going to teach Todd Downing how to do stuff. He's already He's been a coordinator before. It didn't work with the Raiders. They tried to let him do it this year. It didn't work here. So they're like, okay, you did some okay things in the running game. Cool. We're going to bring some somebody to control the passing game because you obviously don't understand it. 
and that's like uh, to me it like it could not be any clearer that that's what they're doing like i, I mean uh-huh. the fact that you have last year to say i mean I, do, is there let, something let, i'm let, missing where last year yeah yeah because what jim schwartz was brought in to do was make the scheme easier to grasp for players and to cure the communication problems. Jim Schwartz, I don't think, had the role of coming in and saying, well, this is how you get sacks. He might have had those conversations. Shane Bowen talked a lot about him being a sounding board and someone that he could you know, get advice from during the week. I'm sure those conversations happen. But the primary job of Jim Schwartz, I fully believe, and this is all conjecture, of course, because Vrabel never explained it, his job was to make the defense easier for the players to understand because it was confusing in 2020 and to cure the communication problems, to get everyone on the same page. That's what he did. His job wasn't to teach Shane Bowen how to call a defense. And, and, and that is what I think you, you certainly are, but I think a lot of people are expecting Tim Kelly to come in here and like teach Todd Downing how to call a defense. Not only do I not think that's going to happen, what does Tim Kelly know? know? Why, would, why is he... I don't understand why Tim Kelly would be in a position to mentor someone at the ripe age of 36 with barely anything on his resume. Well... Uh, his resume is better than Todd Downing's, in my opinion. Like, at least his offenses yeah. with the Texans, um, when Deshaun Watson was there, granted, you know, Deshaun Watson was there. So, yeah, was but if your, kids getting, if, you're, if your kid's getting C's in school, you're not going to call the B student to tutor him. Well, no, but if he's getting the F, I, I would. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like, I mean, they, like, they wouldn't they bring him in little, if they didn't think. Todd Downing was pretty bad at his job, in my opinion. Like, you don't bring someone in to be the passing game coordinator, which, I mean, there are a lot of those in the NFL, and maybe it's just, you know, one of those titles that doesn't really mean anything, but I don't think they would have brought him in if they thought Todd Downing was doing a good job, right? Like, he's here for a reason. I just think a lot of people have jumped to the conclusion that he's going to be some great resource for the Titans, and I... He he may be, but I don't know what that theory is based on. Because well, I mean, I mean, he's sure he's better than Downing. Years, right? I'll I'll concede that. But Jim Schwartz had a track record, has a track record. Great defensive coordinator, has a Super Bowl ring, years of success in Philadelphia, years of success here, years of success defensively in Detroit. And what does Tim Kelly have? He made Davis Mills look not so bad, and with Deshaun Watson, he was middle of the pack in 2019. Yeah, you, you should read the uh, the Broadway Sports article on it. It's it's really good. It breaks it down really well because it like I hear what you're saying because like it's not it's not necessarily on on paper that they took big like big steps forward, but like once they break down like. One thing they cite is that they they run a lot more passes on first down than the Titans ran this year, which is always a good thing. I mean, I think we agree on that. Um, they use more eleven personnel, which is good. Like, I mean, eleven personnel historically opens things up a lot more than you know using two tight ends or anything like that. So, it, it's really good. I don't I don't want to abbreviate it and go too far into it, but but it all depends on how like 
the the thing we're arguing over is how much do we think they're going to let Tim Kelly do? Like, I, I mean, you think I, I think you think that they're going to make him the same version or the same coach as Jim Schwartz, but you know, with a different title. Which I don't necessarily understand why they would give him a different title and not just say offensive senior well, assistant. What, the, to what the is the defensive equivalent of Kelly's title? Blitz coordinator, defensive passing game. No, I mean they have defensive passing coordinators in the NFL. They do. Yeah, that's dumb. Uh, I mean, unless it works. I mean, <laughs> you know, like I, I, it, it all depends. You know, it's whatever. Like it, it's all about fi- getting smart people in the room, and they're stuck with a dumb person that they're going to pay on his contract anyway with Downing. So I, I mean, you're stuck with him. You're paying him. Just basically demote him to a run game coordinator, you know, another thing they have, and, and then not the Titans, but around the league, but demote him to the running game coordinator slash tight ends coach or whatever, and then just kick him out whenever you can. But like, yeah, uh, yeah to me, like you like to me, the key here is they called him a coordinator. Like he's not a, he's not a position coach. He's not like an ambiguous coach. He is. He is responsible with coordinating. You know, think about the coordinators the Titans have had in the past. Like they didn't even call Shane Bowen a coordinator last year, right? Like and and like so to give that title up willy nilly now seems strange to me when they were so tight with it last year. So yeah, I mean, I think that means something to this team. Hmm. It just seems like a backup plan, just in case da- Downing is just as bad next year. And like they at least have someone to rely on who has at least offensive coordinator experience um, and knows some of the coaching staff knows Vrabel just in case like the same thing happens with Downing again and they have to they have to fire him. I am interested because yeah. Vrabel has not really canned an assistant yet. You could talk about uh, Tyrone McKenzie, but and like. Haslett. I guess, but they're, yeah. but they're not coordinators. But they're not yeah. coordinators. Like he, like Dean Pease and him parted ways after Vrabel well, kind of overstepped. Like, yeah, but you know that, like he he did, and then he went to Atlanta the next year and <laughs> got got back into it. Like, I my whole thing is he just doesn't like to fire the people like. I think he views it as a, a mark of failure on himself if he fires one of those people. So that's why he took so long to hire Bowen is because he wanted to call plays and, you know, whatever. But I, I don't know. I, maybe maybe I'm not giving Vrabel, Coach of the Year Mike Vrabel, enough credit. But <laughs> I, I think I think the reason why Bowen is still – or uh, Downing is still on the staff is because he looked stupid when he hired him. He was – as stupid, you know, as everybody said he was going to be. Like, you what? know, Downing was as incompetent as. Who was I, saying I mean, that was a stupid hire? Uh, I think it got masked in the fact that he also kept Bowen. But, like, uh, it, yeah. pretty much everybody from the outside. Like, remember the whole knock was he ran the fewest amount of play action passes when he was with the Raiders? So. Yeah, that's like you're taking up. the bat. You're going from. Yeah, so it's like you take the number one play-action team from last year when they were averaging 30 points a game, and you hire somebody who called the least amount of play-action passes, and then week one he calls like one play-action pass or whatever. Like, 
I, I mean, everybody was right pretty quick. And I think at that point it was too late to turn the ship around and there was just never any cohesion on offense the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. Will, you have an interesting theory. You told us that you believe the Titans have a better chance or, or, or that you feel better about the Titans odds to win a Super Bowl now than you did in 2021. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, I I think the exact way, and this is the way I meant to phrase it is going into 2021 or going into 2022. I have a better feeling about the Titans playoff chances slash Super Bowl chances than I did going into 2021. Okay. I don't. I think you're wrong. Well, I, you can't be wrong. That's it's how you feel. <laughs> we're going to talk about this, and we're going to get your reasons for why you feel this way, because I'm very curious how you could feel that way. We're going to do that in 30 seconds. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Will, what gives you this boost of confidence over last year? Okay, so last year going into the season, we thought that there would be a drop-off, not a big drop-off, but a drop-off from offenses with Arthur Smith leaving and Corey Davis. Like Not, not that Corey Davis was going to be a drop-off to Julio, but we all knew the injury risks. So I think the idea was the offense will be good to maybe better than that, which was still a step back from when they were like the leading scoring offense in the NFL and the most efficient offense with uh, Arthur Smith. And then we thought the defense was going to be, you know, not maybe not as bad, but only because they'd added so much talent that it almost couldn't be as bad. But I think the idea was that the defense would be bottom 10. Just can they not be in the bottom 10? Like, can they be like right outside or can they, like, that was the threshold. So yeah, going into next season, I, and we'll talk more about position, position by position in a minute, but I think that the Titans are going to return. What tell maybe 11 of 11 starters on defense. Like if you include Cunningham and, uh, long as the starters at linebacker like they're gonna they're gonna have the opportunity to return to 11 of them if they keep landry which i think they're gonna try to then on offense they're gonna completely overhaul it but it was broken anyway so i i i you know we'll see what they do but i think the offense with the talent they have physically can't be worse than they were last year like I don't think they can have that many turnovers, that many injury, those that number of injuries, you know, as much inconsistency as they did, as few explosive plays as they did. Like I just don't think that can happen again with this group of people. So I have to assume the offense is going to be middle of the pack to above middle of the pack, maybe good depending on what they do in free agency, but the defense I mean looks awesome and only got better. So if you can give, if you can have 85% of what Tannehill was in 2020, like 
and you can have a defense that looks like it did the back half of the year. And you can just get, you know, A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry to not miss half the season, then you should be better. So in that vein, I think that I feel much more comfortable with them going to the playoffs because I don't think anybody in the AFC South is going to be remotely close. Like, I mean, I think the Colts, Jaguars, and Texans will be fighting for top five spots next year in the draft. So, I mean, I think they're going to make the playoffs pretty comfortably. And then after that, if you've got a better defense and some more cohesion on offense, I, I'd i like their chances to go farther. Okay. I will say that that fair, really, really. Uh, here's where I'm going to balk or disagree. Uh, you nailed the defense stuff. But going into last season... We were thinking, man, this Titans offense is going to run the world. You know, they got Julio Jones in, and they, you know, they've got this offensive line that played so well together, and and the rookie Raidens will slide right in. Well, that didn't happen. And, and I agree, you know, the offense, regardless of the shuffling, because I think there is going to be shuffling. We'll get into that momentarily. They're still going to have the core, right? It's still going to be. Uh, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, right? So that's still there. But now we know that Julio Jones is somewhat decrepit and isn't able to play consistently. Uh, And the big thing for me really is Ryan Tannehill. Because heading into the 2021 season, I had confidence that you can win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill. Now I do not. Matthias, what do you think? Um, I don't want to get into the Tannehill thing again because oh, I don't uh, either. I, we really, uh, we really went at it last time. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't know. I, it, it's weird to me because I, I did feel like this was probably the Titans' best chance to get to the Super Bowl um, in a really long time, especially with how the defense had been playing for most of the season, um, and they still had a lot of talent. Derrick Henry was coming back. But um, I don't know. Like, I, I think the AFC has a lot of good teams, but not necessarily powerhouse teams. Like, the Chiefs and the Bills are probably the best in the AFC along with the Titans, but they have flaws. We've already seen them um, in these playoffs, particularly the Chiefs, uh, and the Bills just can't seem to get over the hump of, of even beating the Chiefs in the playoffs. So those, those two are probably going to cancel each other out. The Bengals seem like... I don't want to talk trash about them, but they seem like a one-and-done type of team. Like, I feel like it's going to be hard for them to get back to, to where they got this season. And then you look at some of the other ones, like, I don't know. The Patriots are good. They have a good defense, but I don't think Matt Jones is all that great. The Raiders are still stuck with Derek Carr. They might be about to pay him, like, $35 million per year. The Steelers are in quarterback shambles, so are the Colts. The Chargers have Herbert, but they still have not been able to get over that where the Chargers bump <laughs> that that stigma that, that hangs around with them. And then the Ravens are like kind of weird. Like Lamar hasn't been playing all that well the last couple of seasons. So I don't know. I feel like the Titans are still in a good position within the AFC um, in general. They're, they're definitely in a good position within the AFC South. Just because the Colts don't have a quarterback, the Jags and the Texans are, are disasters pretty much. So 
I'm not going to say I'm, I'm more confident going into 2022 because, yeah, like the Tannehill thing is still kind of hanging with me. And I'm also not totally sure if the defense is going to be able to play the same um, as it did this year, just because defense doesn't seem to carry over year to year for whatever reason. It just seems like most elite defenses can't keep it going um, for for a couple of seasons. But if the Titans do, if the defense does, um, and they add more pieces on offense slash Todd Downing isn't a complete disaster, then I will feel better. But I, I think until we get through free agency in the draft, I'm not in a position to say whether I'm more confident um, than I was this year. Yeah, let me also say, like, that's with the assumption, you know, everybody from us to Jim Wyatt has talked about it, where we've said and everybody said that the two biggest positions of need are wide receiver and tight end. So I'm expecting there to be some overhaul and to open up cap space and for a first round pick and a lot of money and maybe, you know, two decent or one big free agent deal to go to a wide receiver or a tight end or both. And then to also use a first round pick on one of those positions too. So like my expectation is it's not just going to be the core of, uh, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, and AJ Brown. It's going to be also add in, you know, uh, like not not Godwin or any like not Godwin, but like maybe a Michael Gallup or maybe like a rookie. I mean, it's hard for me to say rookie because I know they won't start until midseason. But like Jamison Williams, you know, just another real threat, and then a tight end who can block and also catch. So like it, it will be a much more dangerous offense in my mind, just because. Like, where else are they going to invest their picks and money and stuff? Like, they like, I mean, I guess they could go to the well and offensive line, but I, I would be not completely shocked, but I would be surprised. So, my assumption is that they're going to upgrade wide receiver and tight end this offseason, you know, each, and then maybe double dip in one or both of those spots. It's great. That's a great segue, Will. Because that's where we're going right now, is the roster. Because we've talked a lot about the roster sort of in a, uh, a general sense. But now it's time to go position by position and talk about the roster. We're going to start a quarterback. Um, and, and again, this is not the time for the Tannehill discussion. There's not anything happening here, is there? It's going to be Tannehill and Woodside, right? Unless uh, Woodside gets poached, because I'm sure there are going to be a lot of suitors for him in uh, free agency. Is he a free agent? Yeah. He is, actually, yeah. Oh. I think. We, sign, like, we choose to sign him every year. Oh, he might be of one of those like exclusive rights free agent that I have no idea what that actually means. He so might ex- probably. Exclusive right free agent means uh, you're a free agent with like less than three years of accrued okay. service time. Okay, that's him. Yeah, he's one of those. Yeah. And basically, I mean, I mean, basically just re-signing him as a formality. Yeah, they probably yeah. will. Do you guys think they're going to draft a quarterback? I hope not. Like no. Probably. 
probably should. Well, not not early, but like in the. What's the point? Well, it, it feels like a waste, honestly. I mean, yeah, I, I right. the one the example I go back to. Oh, there's a couple. Mason Rudolph is a great example. Right, he was supposed to be the heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger. Now Ben Roethlisberger's done. People are begging anybody but him, please. And the Colts with Jacob Eason. They draft yeah. him in, what, the third or the fourth round? And when Carson Wentz goes down, the reaction was not, oh, man, let's see what Jacob Eason can do. It was, oh, gosh, let's trade for Nick Foles or anything else. It's like, what's the point then? Like, if if you have no confidence in these guys and they all end up sucking, why why take these swings? Who was the last mid-round Dak, like, other than him? And he was a massive aberration because he's really good. But who's the last mid-round quarterback to even be like a serviceable starter? No, I mean it's like Dak and Prescott, or uh, Dak and a uh, Russell Wilson. The same person twice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Dak, and, Dak and Russell Wilson, and then um, and Russell like, Wilson Jimmy was ten Cuffler. years ago. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't yeah. happen. Like it, like it's even worse for day three quarterbacks. And like, it's fi- like again, so, like, I'm not even saying you have to be Russell Wilson. I'm saying like be a good starter. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like that, like the. I mean, Nick Foles, like Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins, I guess. Like these guys, like you said, are ten years ago. Like it's like, are you really going to waste a top one hundred pick or like you know a high fourth round or whatever it is? Like on one of these guys, it's like you can argue it's like, oh, it's better than this. It's like, yeah, but it's probably not going to be as good as Amani Hooker. Like I mean, it's pro- you know, like it, it, there's there's going to be other players you will have wished you drafted instead yes, of drafting a quarterback. Like, yeah, you should you should never draft a quarter like you should never draft a quarterback if you're outside of the top ten picks. Like, yeah. I feel like Watson was eleven. Cole, Cole McDonald, <laughs> he lasted a week. Watson was eleven, and I mean, like, he had two good years and then got in trouble. Well, that, not that that's his yeah. fault, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, there's not uh, history is not littered with guys where you're like, oh man, I can't believe he was just sitting there at fifteen. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that you know. So quarterback is pretty set in stone. I I, I don't yeah. foresee any sort of draft pick. I don't foresee a trade. I, Robinson has repeatedly backed Tannehill over the last few weeks. I think that's who you got is Tannehill and Woodside. Running back, to throw out some names that will be on the roster, you have Derrick Henry, you have Darrington Evans, who I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, I don't know what Don Terrell Hilliard's status is. I would imagine he is an ERFA. Um, and then uh, Deontay Foreman is an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, they're both unrestricted, actually. I think okay. Hilliard has like, he might have four years or something like that. Um, I could see Foreman going to a different team if he gets uh, a shot at more... Uh, more touches, a promise of more touches with another team. I would like him back. I think he's really good insurance for Henry. Um, good player. Tough. He is. Yeah. Good person, too. Like a good high-character guy. Um, wait, what about McNichols? I forgot about McNichols. Oh, yeah. Well, he's not on the team. Or maybe practice squad. Oh, yeah, squad. we him, right? He, he, I think oh, he yeah. finished the team on a practice squad. Hmm. hmm. I mean, I, they're not gonna—they're not gonna resign uh, Foreman before free agency, like they, because remember, like he was just on the street in week 
nine or whatever it was. Like, I mean, it's not like they had like trade for him or like he was, you know, it teams didn't love him before. I don't think the Titans are going to be desperate to like give him a bunch of money. Like they, they just don't pay their backup running backs like that. Like they've made it a priority once. And that was with, um, Evans and you know, that was in the draft and that was a third round pick. Like, you know, I, I just, I don't think that they, they believe that they need a true number two running back to carry the load. Like, I think they want Derrick Henry on early downs and then somebody who can pass block and catch on third downs. And plus like if they, if he like, they have so many free agents this year that kind of barely played because of how many players they had to like field that, I mean, they could end up with like, 12 picks in the next draft just because of the compensatory pick formula. What? I mean, why not? Like, it's not about how good, I mean, it's more about how many you sign versus how many get signed away from you. Like, they had 91 people. Yeah, but who's signing these guys? Like, I mean, uh, Nate Cole or whatever his name was. Dylan Cole. Well, I'm, I'm saying if like, if Ben Jones goes somewhere, if Jeff Swaim gets signed somewhere, if uh, Rashawn Evans gets signed somewhere, if John Brown gets signed somewhere, if yeah. Crookshank gets signed somewhere, if Ferkser gets signed somewhere, like I mean, like there's a bunch of guys. Like I'm not saying they'll all be like, you know, third round compensatory picks, but I'm saying like they could end up with like a bunch of picks just from the sheer fact that they have so many people leaving. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, Darren, I see a lot of people got to cut Darrington Evans. You just keep him for camp. Why not? It's not like it's costing you anything. If you want to cut him after camp, that's fine. But what a disappointing situation there. Yeah. I mean, we thought he was going to be a spark plug. And yet all these injuries, Rabel saying, I remember Emily Proud asked him, how's Darrington Evans done in his return to play? Not enough. <laughs> Ooh. Um. Yeah. Uh, at, at the very least, they should just keep him for another year. See what happens. Or for like camp, maybe he just at stops. Least. I, I don't know. Maybe about he it. stops getting injured because every time he's been on the field, like he looks good. So you never mm. know with these things. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna. You're already paying him. He looked good in that Detroit game. Yeah, you're already paying him. Like, there's no, there's no reason to cut him. Like, he offers you something that the rest of your, like, really your skill positions don't have, yeah. and just pure speed. Yeah, but, but like if he, you're if you're tied on roster spots because you already have a fullback too, they're gonna have Tory Carter. I feel like Blossom game's probably gone. By the way, yeah, um, he's he's got to go after that drop. <laughs> that was it. That was the well, and, the and he's just not very good. Like Tory Carter is yeah, so much right. better. Like, it, but no you know, you're gonna have three. You're gonna have Henry. You're gonna have someone else who can you know run the football between the tackles. You're gonna have the fullback. That's three. And so you're you're fourth, like you'd way rather have Hilliard than Evans, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know because if Evans I would, is healthy, I'd, I'd rather have Evans. But that's like, I mean, that's like saying if I was six six, I'd be good at basketball. Yeah, I mean, you just uh, these you just things are roll. so random, though. Like, I don't know, one, one no, year they're not you random be... with him. They're fairly consistent, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you just got like, like you said, you just go into camp with you know, you don't cut anybody that you already have at that position because they're cheap, and then you just roll into camp and 
whoever makes it through on the other end, great. Like you're on the roster. Like you don't you don't want to cut him and then him be a decent like change of pace somewhere else and you had him for two hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Yeah. Um we think they're okay at starting running back. Any any need for an upgrade there? No. <laughs> yeah, they're they're good. Somewhere where there's gonna have to be an upgrade is wide receiver. You know your top two, AJ Brown and Julio Jones. But I'm sitting here looking. NWI, Chester Rogers, Dez, Racy McMath. This is not good. Not good at all. I like Westbrook Akina. I do. I think he's a good number four receiver. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a become a bit of a cliche with him, but I do think the fact that he plays all the positions bodes well for him, uh, and he's been reliable for the most part. But he's not—he's not a number three. And then after him, it's Racy who stinks as a receiver. I, he's okay on special teams. He's not anything like what we were sold that he was going to be on special teams. Desmond Patrick is terrible. I think he's going to get cut. I don't. I this is conjecture. I don't think the staff likes him very much. Just watching body language and interactions in practice. Um, you know, don't take that as some kind of report. But that's just my opinion. Is I don't think they like him very much. Chester Rogers has got to go. He was bad at in pretty much everything. Um, and the reality with those with the second of those top two guys with Julio Jones is you're not going to get. Close to 17 games out of him, probably. So, I think you got to draft two receivers this year. No? Yeah, or maybe draft one and pick one up through free agency. It, um, man, that Des Fitzpatrick pick is brutal, especially because they could have just had Amon Ross St. Brown, who had a great rookie season. Not going to get over it, but, um, it's in the past. Yeah, I think Fitzpatrick is probably going to get cut, honestly. Nothing has pointed to the opposite at this point. Like, he's done absolutely nothing except for catching that touchdown. But even in that game, I'm pretty sure he was at fault for at least one of the interceptions, um, possibly like two. Um, so he's not long for the team. I could see them bringing back Batson or Marcus Johnson just as, like, the fifth or sixth, uh, you know, like, the, fast the, the Batson experiment receiver. needs to end. It's been too he, long. He's wasn't awful when there's, there's, not there's not a big gap between NWI and uh, Batson, like unless you're right? asking them to run block, like that, like different different bat, players. But yeah, in NWI gets too much credit for being a worse version of Tajay Sharp. Like I mean, he like it is. It is so appalling just because Vrabel likes him and says nice I things. Think, that I think they're pretty like, close. I think he's pretty good. Yeah, I, I just like I, Nick Westbrook-Akina can stay on the team, but he should be one of those guys that you're like, oh yeah, he's on the team. Like it shouldn't be like you remember and are watching him like for thirty yeah. percent of the offense. Like he should be the he, fifth fifth it, receiver. That, isn't, at, at, at best. Yeah, isn't it wild that Cam Batson? This would be his fifth year with the team if he stays. He'd be the longest tenured uh, skill position player, right? Or may- maybe it's him and Derek Henry or something. But it's like, uh, like yeah. they they just like they. Lo- I mean, that's that's what Vrabel does. But he's is, not like, good. He's not good. No, but but it's yeah. I mean, I know, but like that that has never stopped Vrabel from loving anybody before. Like, I mean, he's very much like this guy's scrappy and competes. Like, I mean, I, it sounds like I'm making a joke again, but it's like. This guy competes on special teams. Like, look at him, gift egg, get after it. And it's like, 
hey, Mike, did you see him fumble the ball into the end zone? It's like, ah, but he was really trying to get after it. And I'm like, okay, well, you're just blind to this. Like, you just like this guy. And that's fine. But don't convince me that he's a good football player. I mean, these days, though, with with the college football, with the college, with college football being the way that it is, (laughs) uh, you're every year you're going to have a ton of receivers to choose from in the draft, a lot of good ones. And because of that, there's no excuse to have to be running these guys out there in your starting offense. I I got duped by the Chester Rogers stuff in training camp. I thought he was going to be a weapon Johnson. for him. Johnson was actually pretty yeah. good, I will say. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's like he's got the Darrington Evans yep. getting injured all the time thing. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is he's got the Darrington Evans hamstrings? Like it's like you know as much as much as he might look good for a little burst. It's like if you can't count on him for more than four games at a time, it's like. But like you're, I mean, before we talk about this for an hour and a half, like yeah, like it's got to be AJ Brown, and then you have to assume that Julio's going to be your third wide receiver. Like you yeah. cannot assume that you're good at wide receiver one and wide receiver two just because you're paying him money this year. Because after this year, you're not like after this year, mm-hmm. you can cut him and move on. It's fine or whatever. But like, I, I mean, I think they're going to move money around. Like there's a ton of good free agent wide receivers. Like you can find somebody, especially like between the draft and free agency, like you can find another true like starting wide receiver. And then like I said before, then you're talking about AJ Brown and uh, I, I don't want, let's say Allen Robinson, you know, or let's say Michael Gallup, like somebody of that quality. And then like you're saying, that's your wide receiver two. And then your wide receiver three is uh, Julio Jones. Who's the third guy in your package who rotates out like every now and then like that, that's a good prio and, or you, or you draft somebody or whatever. But like you have to go in thinking that you still need another starter at wide receiver, and then depth you can deal with however you want. But you know your starter is yet to be determined across from AJ Brown. I I just don't want to see any more Chester Rogers screens. I mean that was a problem before the botched one in the Cincinnati game. I don't understand how you could yeah. have AJ Brown on your team and throw screens to someone else. Uh, Hmm. I don't understand how you throw. I, I don't understand how you throw. I, I don't. I don't want to talk about it. Like it's very <laughs> aggravating. I th- but I, moral of this conversation or the, the wrap up is they got to do something here at wide receiver. Well, probably multiple some things because this isn't going to cut it. No, without a doubt, they need to add uh, more pieces. Uh, unfortunately, in terms of drafting receivers, it's been kind of hit or miss under John Robinson. Um, but hopefully he hits on at least a couple if if they go the route of drafting. There's really there's really only been one hit, and that was AJ Brown. Well, uh, no, ta- no, Corey, Corey Davis, Davis is good. good. Uh, he just Tuck gets injured. Was against pick also. He was very yeah. useful. Corey um, Davis, but yeah, I great mean, block. Taewon, Taewon's terrible. Obviously, Desmond Patrick looks like a bust also. So they they missed Corey Davis this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the next two positions tied in an offensive line are the two positions where I think we can expect the most change to occur, the most turnover. We're going to get into each of those positions in just one moment. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast.
back here on No Nonsense. Tried to get us into a Corey Davis conversation for old time's sake. You guys didn't really bite. <laughs> a little bit. Not a whole lot. Tight end. I've avoided I've avoided that name for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Ma- Matias Matias kept sanity. Tight end is easily the worst position on this team's roster. Abysmal. I, I don't know, like they went into the season like like they lost Johnny Smith and they went into the season and they were like, Yeah, we got it. And and I will say this, you know, I expected Anthony Ferkser to be a, a weapon because he was in, in twenty twenty. He was a consistent threat on third downs and in the red zone. He's terrible in twenty twenty one. Worthless as a player, not as a person, as a player. And so what you got him as an unrestricted free agent. Michael Pruitt coming off of a major injury. Jeff Swaim, who is so slow. And like what there's got to be this is another place where there's got to be multiple somethings done. They might uh they might turn this whole tight end room over. I wouldn't be surprised if none of them make it back because Pruitt even they signed him mid-season, right? Because he had gone to the after between the camp and between camp and the season. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, I, I don't know. And then Furser was just a complete disappointment. Did not take the next step that we thought maybe he could. I, I think the times were pretty skeptical about him because they never committed uh, long term to him. So maybe they they saw it, but I don't know. And then Swain, I could see them bringing back Swain. I don't think he's all that terrible. Like, I think he's a serviceable second or third string tight end. Um, he just doesn't offer you much um, after the catch or even as a pass catcher. Um, but at least he's a body. Or as a know, blocker. Not... I know, but there are a lot of bad tight ends in the NFL. So whatever. At least he knows the system. But look, they need they need to add. They, they need to add, I would say, at least two. Um, tight ends. I think the only ones on the roster right now are Tom, Tommy Hudson, Ryan Isso, and Briley Moore. I think Briley Moore might have tore his ACL or something like that. Yes. I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the other two are I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah. They, they, they need to add a lot here. Uh, thankfully, the free agency class is, is pretty good. There are a lot of options, uh, both veterans and some in the you know mid to late 20s. Uh, they really haven't gotten too much of an opportunity somewhere else. So uh, I think they could definitely dip their toes into the free agency pool, but they need to draft someone, I think. They need to get someone cheap, young, and athletic um, at that position, and the best way to do that is obviously uh, through the draft. I don't know whether it's a good draft class or not, but it doesn't matter. Just draft someone. Yeah, like they they won't draft somebody in the first round at tight end just because that's no one not ever really, should. Yeah, they they don't really value it like that. Like, I mean, you, you could tell that by who they came into you know the season with this year. Like, they obviously don't value tight end very highly because they made no effort to bolster the group. Um, but I do think you know with all those guys being free agents, I think they're just going to say, okay, we'll clean house. Don't I mean don't even worry about who we had last year. The you know lay out the free agents and say these are your options and then we'll worry about getting somebody else on day two or day three like but we're going to spend a first round pick on a premium position that's probably wide receiver and then we're going to spend because 
the franchise tag for a tight end is only like eight million dollars or something. Like they they're one of the lowest paid positions in football. So if you want to go out and spend high dollar on a tight end, like that's not. I mean, that's like half a corner. Like I, I mean. It, you would you could cut Janoris Jenkins or sorry Jackrabbit Jenkins and get and basically save enough money to pay for the most expensive tight end. So like it, that that they can go out and sign whoever they want, whether it's Tyler Conklin, Dalton Schultz, um, Zach Ertz. Uh, I don't think they'd want Evan Ingram. Uh, like in Joku, people like a lot. Mo Ali Cox is kind of that big physical presence. Like. There's a there's a ton of them. Like there's a ton of you know good, not great tight ends. But there's no, there's like three great tight ends in the NFL. So it's like if you can't get one of those guys, cool. Like just get one of these guys, and they can all do the job well enough, and then draft somebody in the third round, and maybe focus more on throwing it to your wide receivers than your tight ends. Like maybe that should be more the game plan anyway. But they have to overhaul it. Yeah, I'm with you guys in that. I think it could be totally different. Maybe Pruitt sticks around, but I think the injury ruins that. And Swain's just not very good. People convince themselves he's a good blocker because he's not a good receiver. Uh, But the reality is he's not really very good at either one. So they got some digging out of a ditch to do at that position. Um, You got to draft someone. I will say, Will, some of those names you were mentioning, the free agents, uh, pretty pretty good group in terms of the type of player they might be looking for. You know, they're not going to go break the bank. They're not going to get into a, a bidding war for a tight end. But you know, someone like a Mo Alley Cox, who was a weapon for Carson Wentz in Indianapolis this past year, did some nice things for them. Um, I could see that happening and working out. Yeah, I mean, like in you know, we talked about how there's you know you're not going to get a great tight end. That's kind of the draft classes too, but like, that's good. Like there's nobody that you're really feeling like that. You really think you have to spend a first round pick on because there's a huge gap. It's just a bunch of B like B B plus kind of guys that are going to fall into the 50 to 125 range. And that's good. Like that's where, like that's where the Titans got John new Smith. Like that's where you want to be drafting tight ends. Cause that's the kind of the sweet spot historically. Let's talk about offensive line, because this one could get wild. So your five starters in 2021, left to right, Taylor Lewan, Roger Saffold, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, David Quesenberry. Jones and Quesenberry are impending free agents, correct? Uh, Quesenberry is a restricted free agent. Okay. But, but yes, uh, he's a restricted free agent, and Jones is uh, UFA. I see very little chance that David Quasimberry's back is this team's starting right tackle. Um, really? Yes. <laughs> I just you, feel like they love him. I feel like they would bring him back. He's not One good. One of them does. Well, not he's according not. to Mike Brable. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, it, that depends on who you ask. Do you ask people with eyeballs, or do you Mike- ask Mike Brable? Rebel's going to cite the PFF grade for Quesenberry for but sure. Like, Which was the PFF what? PFF grade from like week one through four. Like he when had they like had him like PFF grade. It was crazy. No, and then he then he turned to trash because he allowed more sacks than any offensive tackle. And I mean, he allowed more sacks than the right guard for the Bengals. Like, I mean, like just just Adeniji, like just so we're all clear, like 
That that's eighty point six PFF grade, by the way, for Questenberry this season. Really outright, yeah, that's just a trash website. No, um, unbelievable. Like <laughs> I don't know what is, they want. Uh, just incredibly terrible. Like, but yeah, like he's he's very bad. Like he's thirty. He'll he's thirty two. He'll be thirty three. I think. Like, let 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 him retire. Like, or let somebody else pay him, but don't don't bring him back. So then, uh, Ben Jones is an unrestricted free agent, kind of up in the air. Nate Davis really is the only certainty on that offensive line because I, I think we're all in agreement there's a, a real chance that either or both of Taylor Lewan and Roger Saffold uh, get, a, get a pink slip because of their cap situation. The Titans wouldn't really owe them either one of them much of anything, I don't think. And they'd clear up gobs and gobs of cap space. So, I will ask this. Because, Will, I already know that you think they will cut Lawan. I know that is where you are leaning. Is that the right choice? I go I go back and forth on this because I'm I'm scared to like break up the offensive line, but then I think about the fact that they could not pass block for like <laughs> the entire season. So then I'm like, well, does it really matter if they try to shake things up that much? So I kind of, I kind of go back and forth on this. I would like to see them put Radens at right tackle and just kind of solve the right side because you have Nate Davis also at right guard. He's pretty solidified there. I would try to keep Ben Jones. I think he's awesome. I, th- I thought he had a really good season. One of the best run blocking centers in the league, one of the best centers, period, in the league. I would try to bring him back um, if they could. Hopefully, he gives us a hometown discount. We'll see how that works out. And then Saffold and Luan, like, I don't know. They were, like, pretty inconsistent this past season for sure. And they command a lot of money. So, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It scares me, though, to go into the season with a new left guard and left tackle, the blind side of your quarterback, but then, you know, I go back to, well, they were bad last year, so what does it really matter? Yeah, like, I mean, week one of the season, they weren't particularly great. You know, it wasn't great to have Lawan back necessarily versus Chandler Jones. Not that he allowed five sacks, that's not true, but he did allow two pretty bad ones. Um, so, the first thing I should say is, the Lawan contract is really weird, because... It's like no guaranteed money, and he's under contract for the next two years. And I think they're like almost fully empty deals. Like I think he's got like one point three million in guarantees. Like it, the ideal situation is you restructure Lawan's contract and you you make his cap space or you make his cap hit not fourteen million or whatever it is. But even then, like even as it is right now, he's like the fourteenth highest paid left tackle. And it's like, I would have a hard time arguing that he's not a top 15 left tackle. Like, I mean, even on his bad year when he's recovering from ACL surgery, like, I would argue that he was a top 15 guy. So a year removed, like, the problem is he's older. Like, it's not like he's 26 bouncing back from ACL. I mean, he's like, he's going to be 31, I think. Like, and so you're, if you keep him especially if you keep him at the number you're keeping him at you're gambling that he's going to bounce back like most people do from acls where the first year it's serviceable the next year is when you really get back to normal and then you know you're that kind of guy again you're hoping that 
he's the same guy that he was when he was 29 when he's 31 and that's tough so it's it's a big gamble which is why i think a restructure works best for everybody uh so you know to sum it all up like i I just don't know how with the needs they have on offense and kind of how poorly the entire offensive line played and how in and out of the lineup Lawan's been, I don't know how you can justify keeping him a, you know, at that number. Like the, the best, uh, the, the best idea is to restructure it. But I mean, Lawan's kind of said before, like, you know, he doesn't like, not that he has a choice, but it's like, he doesn't like, you know, contract restructurings and all that because like, you know, he kind of feels like it's unfair to the player, like blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. Like, it certainly feels like he's gotten the better end of the deal over the last two years, like in terms of being paid for what you put on the field, you know, whether that's, you know, insensitive to his injury or whatever. Like, I think that just from a strict, like you paid this much money, you were expecting to get this. You didn't get that. Like, I I think from that standpoint, that's why the contracts are the way they are. But I, I think that if he, if he doesn't, you know, for whatever whatever thing that the player has to sign off on or whatever input they have. Like if he's like, well, if you restructure my deal, I'm going to sit out or whatever that is. Like uh, if he balks on that, I don't think that this team is so attached to him at this point that they would say, well, he's too much of like of the identity of the football team. Like, I just don't know if they had that connection to him. Yeah, I'm with you there. I don't know that they are, Huge Lawan fans at the Titans. Not that they're not, but but he's not the apple of their eye by any means. I don't think. I think you're right yeah, about let, that. Let's also say this: like Lawan is different than he was <laughs> four let, years. Let's ago. also say this: he's spending too much time on that podcast. <laughs> like <laughs> I, that, like. That, um, that's, um, I, I was gonna ask if I will get I won't get to just retire and then he yeah. just does the podcast. Well, he, he said he said that like he was gonna retire if the Titans cut him. Like he said that like two weeks ago. So like, which means that they're gonna sign him for two million dollars. I mean, it, like it's it's a very weird thing to say. So I'm, I don't know what that's about. I'm sure but, his like, agent loved that. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't. I, I don't know why he said that, but I, I, the point I want to make about Lawan is like, it's not the podcast in what messed, like not messed him up. That, that what changed. No, him. That was a joke. And he's been, yeah, but I know, I, I mean, I know what you were referring to, but like that, what would changed him and it's for the better as a human is getting married and having kids. Like he's talked about that a bunch. Like the guy who was like face to face, like getting into fights and all that, like, the the guy who was a like spark plug and a i would argue that he was well worth the flags because of the you know passion and aggression he brought he brought to that side of the ball and also the good play like when he played like that guy that was the guy who went to the three pro bowls three straight years like that that's that was the Taylor one that most people remember like the guy he's been lately isn't as good he was having it, he, he was quietly having a hall of fame arc before the PED thing yeah i mean PEDs got married like all all kind of in the same window and then like it just kind of mellowed out as a human and yeah. like you have to play like a maniac like you have to be insane a little bit to play <laughs> 
football. Like every uh, all the players say that. Like you have to be able to flip a switch. And I think that you know he found a lot of inner peace, and that's great for him. Like truly as a person, that's awesome. But the maniac side of him that drove him to run ten yards down the field and hit somebody as hard as he could kind of died a little, and he's just not that guy anymore. Like so, you know, for better or worse, like. He's he's not he. I don't think he has the same identity that a lot of us think he does. I'm with you there. So Lawan probably gone. Saffold too. I see. I think Saffold is the first one you go after. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think I don't know that there's a chance Saffold stat. Like even if Saffold said, "Hey, I'll come back at half the price," I think they would say, "Like, no thanks." Like. Not not yeah, he to gotta find some stability. But, I'm sorry, but him being in and out and in and out, that's not yeah. gonna work. Yeah. Like well, especially older. because Luan is the same way, so both of yeah. them, you know, just being so inconsistently not there, not available, like yeah, it's rough. Yeah. I mean I think I mean I think they like Brewer enough to where they keep putting him in as much as they can. I think they're just gonna say, Hey, like you know, we can save fourteen million dollars. I think if they cut uh, Saffold, and so it's like you say fourteen million dollars, you cut Saffold, and you get an undrafted guy who's held up well when he's asked to play. Like, cool. Like, go ahead. Like, I mean, give Corey Levin a shot because Corey Levin played there a little bit this year and did well when he was in. But like, if not, whatever. Like, but keep Brewer in, and you get a cheap guy, and then you can address it next year. But like. I mean, you can't pay fourteen million for a guy who's, you know, again, not his fault, but he's older and his neck's been bothering him a lot, and he just can't finish games. It's like, like he, like it just doesn't work. Like it does not make sense. He he's a guard, also. Like you're, it's a lot of money for a position that generally isn't that important. Yeah, it less important matter. than a tackle. Yeah. yeah. Stop the nonsense, time. What do we got? Uh, should we uh should we all tag team the Stafford Hall of Fame uh, discourse after the game? Yeah, I mean <laughs> so I'm on board with that. I have another quarterback take, so y'all go ahead and and double team that, and then I have I have something that I think is funnier. I just why you know um I, I don't have the I don't have like the take that started at all, but. I mean, this team, this tends to happen all the time when a team wins a Super Bowl, um, and then every player's legacy is like immediately on the line and you know vindicated. Um, and it's happening with Stafford because he won the Super Bowl. He finally got to the big game, um, and he delivered. He threw three passing touchdowns. He threw. He got the game-winning drive. Um, everyone seems to forget that he also threw two interceptions that almost cost him the game, but I don't know. It's just weird that this always seems to happen. And now it's happening with Stafford where his hall of fame candidacy is like almost solidified, uh, because he has a super bowl ring, even though he's like never been one of the five best quarterbacks in the league. And like, Barely can. it's crazy. It's crazy. Like, Look, there are people, there are players in the Hall of Fame that probably should not be there, but it's gotten to the point where just anyone who's decent and doesn't completely suck 
and wins a Super Bowl ring, like they're automatically in. And I just find it insane. And like there are people carrying his water. Of course, Dan Orlovsky is one of the biggest um, champions of his right now. Obviously, like he has a personal connection to him. They played together in Detroit. So uh, not exactly biased uh, uh, journalism there. But it's just it's just crazy to me that that this is happening just because Stafford won the Super Bowl um, when he's made one Pro Bowl. I know the Pro Bowl is a joke, but I think he's made one Pro Bowl in his life. He's never been an All-Pro. Like, that is not a Hall of Fame player in my mind. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I don't think it was so much reactionary because I was listening to Dan Patrick's show last week. And he and Rich Eisen were talking about, like, it came up, you know, would Stafford be a Hall of Famer if they win? And they were all just like, oh, yeah, duh. Like, they didn't even have a conversation about it. They just accepted it. Like, his numbers are, aren't really that good. The passing yards are great. But a lot of that was stat compiling because they were losing games. And look, I know it's Detroit. I know it was a poverty franchise. I know it wasn't his fault they were that bad. But, like... His record is what it is, and the touchdown-to-interception ratio is not great. And a lot of the passing yards... I mean, his nickname for the for his detractors is what? St- Stat Padford. Like, it, Matthew Stafford's not a Hall of Famer. Eli Manning's not a Hall of Famer. There were people in that game who stamped Hall of Fame resumes. Aaron Donald already had one. Vaughn Miller, I think, already had one, but he certainly stamped it, and and that's a done deal now. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, I think, made a great argument for himself. Granted, he's still got a lot of ways to go, uh, but he's consistently been, for the past few years, the best cornerback in the NFL. Uh, but, But among those players who stamped Hall of Fame resumes, Matthew Stafford was not. No, and it, it's also funny because I mentioned he threw, literally threw two interceptions in this game. Um, he led the league in interceptions this season, like, and he's getting Hall of Fame calls after yeah, all that. Very weird. I he was good, had a good postseason. You don't win the Super Bowl without good quarterback play. I mean, maybe the Broncos did it, but it, I, I this is just that's a different conversation entirely. All-time great. Matthew Stafford is not that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the Hall of Fame means anymore. Like I think too many I, I people we, get in it's every like year. The pro pool. Yeah, like I feel like we're just our brains are so distorted from the same five quarterbacks winning the Super Bowl for like 20 years in a row that or, or like you know, but those are, those, those are the quarterbacks that need to be in the Hall of Fame: Peyton Manning, well, right, Ben I, Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Drew Brees. I mean, I, yeah, like I, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm not arguing that. But I think the problem is that we're also like, well, Eli won two in that period, and it's like our brains are like, whoa, wait a second. Every quarterback that wins a Super Bowl should go to the Hall of Fame because yeah, look at all these the other guys. Yeah, and it's like we, we've gotten to this point where it's like Eli will get in because the argument is, well, tell me how many other uh, quarterbacks have won two Super Bowls and aren't in the Hall of Fame. Like, 
And that's the argument. And like, if that's your argument for Hall of Fame, you're going to miss out on a lot of players that were great and just didn't happen to get lucky. Like you, you asked about what the Hall of Fame has become. I, like I said, I think it's too many people getting in. I think it needs to be like baseball, where if if the committee decides, or you know, it's the difference between football and baseball is there's no committee in baseball. You just they send out the ballots to these writers. Uh, but I think the the Pro Football Hall of Fame voting committee needs to have the option to say we're only going to put two in this year. We're only going to put three in this year because at a certain point you ran out of guys. Like, there were no first ballot guys this year. And so they had to have a certain number of these finalists. And so they kind of cram them in. And I'm not saying that, you know, all of the people who made it into the Hall of Fame this year didn't deserve to do that. But, like, there are a lot of people saying that that was a pretty weak group collectively. Yeah. And, I mean, it feels and, like Congress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it just feels like you give concessions like to get, you know, if you're standing on the table for Tony Baselli or, you know, whatever, like uh, if you're standing on the table for a guy who played nine years in the league and was like pretty good for five of them, but like you at, you were like, I'm anti this other guy, like you just make those deals and get stuff through. Like, uh, I mean... Hey, but you're right. Like, I mean, they should, they shouldn't have an, like, it's like, well, we have to get seven guys because they're like, well, this guy's got to be a quarterback because if you don't have a quarterback, nobody's going to watch the pregame and then we won't be able to sell it. And it's like, whatever. Um, the, the committee doesn't care about that. I mean, I guess, but like, it's, it sure seems like they have I mean, some, like, Kaharski's sure a Hall like of Fame not, voter. You think he's in there saying, boy, this pregame show. I imagine they throw his away. Um, <laughs> but I, like, I think they're like, okay, sign your name here. It doesn't matter if your E's are backwards. Like, it's fine. And then they just like trash it. But whatever. Um, okay. I, I think I think we've covered that sufficiently so that I can get my flaming hot uh, yes. quarterback takeoff from uh, Chris Adaminski. Or Adamski? Adamski. Don't know. Spelled Adamski. Uh, but he's a Pittsburgh beat writer. And he said, this is after the game, he quote tweeted uh, a li- uh, the Super Bowl QBRs, Matt Stafford, uh, 60.8, Joe Burrow, 39.7. And he re- quote tweeted that and said, Mason Rudolph was verifiably statistically better in his lone start this season than Joe Burrow was in the playoff- in the Super Bowl. What? But yeah, everyone will still tell me Mason is the worst quarterback they ever saw. No, no, no. This is not real. And this is not real. <laughs> It's either the funniest troll I've ever seen of advanced scouting <laughs> or it is the least aware human I've ever seen. And because it's a Pittsburgh beat writer, I just have to assume they're not self-aware. Like, I have to assume they're saying, this Cincinnati quarterback is not as good as this backup quarterback in Mason Rudolph. And it's the it's what, like, I've read it several times to make sure I'm not missing words or something. But he, like... But you go through the comments he has on, like, that people have commented, and he's like, he's like, oh, so I'm wrong? So he's the worst quarterback anybody's ever seen? And it's like... He's pretty bad. Uh, it, it's, it's, yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, he's very bad. Like, you remember when they started Duck Hodges uh, for, for, like, four games or whatever and did better? It's like, uh, it, it's crazy to me to have that opinion. That would be like if I was like, oh, okay, but... Tell me about the Logan Woodside game in the preseason where he he was six of seven on a drive. It's like you're telling me he can't do that. 
And it, it's just, it's such a crazy thing that I'm like, we got to two hours after the Super Bowl before we were already flying these like hot takes. And I hate that we're back here, but I'm also so glad that we're back here. Did you miss the, you missed the best part. Um, under that tweet, Seth Walder, the ESPN guy, replied and said, this is an insane take, but it's also wrong. Rudolph posted a 39.1 yeah. in that game. I did, I did forget that. So it turns out he didn't even look up the stat. He was like comparing. Like he was just like, <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be better than this, right? And he just like quote tweeted it without knowing the number. Like that is also a crazy piece of information. Oh my gosh. These stats, I got to go. All right. We'll be back next week to do it again, this time with the defensive side of the ball. I feel like Les is going to change there, uh, but I think there's still some places where things maybe could get better. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you next Wednesday. Until then, for Will and Matthias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.